All right. Let's go ahead and let's pray, and then uh, we'll spend some time in the Word, and purely by God's grace, uh, we will uh, also have the Lord's table all in time. So, uh, let's go ahead and let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll spend some time in the Word. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for this opportunity we have as brothers and sisters to come together and to sing praises to your name and to listen from your word. And so we ask, Father, that we would have the attitude that unless we're taught from your word, we're not taught at all. And we just pray for this morning. We pray for me that as I communicate your truth, that you'll give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that I may uh, speak words that are edifying to your church. We thank you and love you for everything you've blessed us with. In your son's name, amen. So when I think of church splits, uh, there's one church split that's known as the Great Church Split. In fact, that's what it's called. It's called the Great Schism, right? The Great Schism. This happened in 1054, so probably a little bit before our time, huh? What happened was you had the Eastern Church and the Western Church in Europe split, And what was created out of that is on the western side, we have what's now known as the Roman Catholic Church. And then on the eastern side is the Eastern Orthodox families. Uh, Kind of an interesting split. And a lot of people have done a lot of work on what happened that this church would split. And when I I listen to them, it's kind of hard for me to, to grasp that there was a time, generally speaking, that when you went to church... There was only one body, right? So I went to a church, and it was, it was under the same governance as the church in the next town or on the other side of the street, right? I mean, it was all, it was all kind of under one umbrella. In, in 1054, it split. Now, many of us would go, yeah, it probably needed to. There was a lot of doctrinal issues. But what was interesting is some of the contributing factors to this great schism. So probably the first one was different language, right? The West spoke in Latin, the Greeks, or the East spoke in Greek. That, that's, a, that's a huge barrier, a language barrier. With that also a cultural barrier, right? The West has a different way of thinking than the East. And so you have these different cultural barriers. Um, interestingly enough, a inter- uh, different view of government Each side had a kind of a different view of the government's role and the church's role in government and in politics. And so you kind of see it splitting over that. Uh, Remember the Roman Roman, uh, capital was moved to Constantinople, which kind of gave a lot of power in politics to the east. So that has something to play in it. One of the other interesting things that they had was just on church and how church is supposed to be run so for example the roman church said no our church in rome with our pastor in rome is the pastor and everybody should follow him and the eastern church said i'm not sure i like the fact that there's some guy in rome called the pontiff that kind of rules all of this so i'm not we're not a fan of that interestingly enough they had a split over whether you use leaven or unleavened bread in the Lord's table, right? 
they also had this other really intricate debate um, on um, the Holy uh, on the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, and something to do with the the uh, how we understand the Trinity and how they how they interact with each other. There was a there was a split over that. And as I was thinking of this split, and I was thinking about all the stuff that happened in history, and as I was reading, I thought, man, a lot of that stuff sounds like it happened yesterday, right? Like, we could look at churches, and we could go, yeah, that sounds like the church split I know about over there, and that sounds like a church split that I know about over there. There's so much stuff that comes in, and there's so much of these interesting things, and and, and they, they cause churches to, to schism, to separate, and, and to split. I think God's desire for his church was unity. That's his desire, that we all walk as one. All the believers on the face of the earth walk as one, right? I think that's what God's desire is. There's numerous times where churches and groups of believers have heard what some of the church leadership was doing and said, that's just unbiblical. And so they remove themselves in a way that's Christ-like, and doesn't cause so much division inside of the community that people would go, what's wrong with those people? Um, but let's be honest, there are a lot of church splits that happen, are there not? A lot. A lot of people that separate themselves from other groups of believers. There's lots of schisms that take place. This morning, our text will speak about this reality of what happens in the book of Proverbs chapter 18 verse 1. We'll talk about this reality of schisms, of separations, of splits. And we're just going to spend this morning just in verse 1. Um, and, and we're going to talk about this, of, of this really bad thing that happens, especially amongst us Protestants, of I don't like what you're doing, so I'm going to take my ball and start my own game. Uh, that is not a good attitude for us to Christians to have, and we should strive to be like-minded, strive to be unified, that we should be focused on the main things and not separate over these smaller issues. And I think this, this verse kind of points to some things that may help us understand these splits, schisms, and separations. So, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. Now, at the outset of just looking at this particular proverb, you would say, well, this is a verse against being antisocial, right? Somebody who's antisocial just loves himself, and he's just fighting against sound wisdom. And I suppose there might be a practical application to this, that you should not be an island to yourself. You should not be uh, trying to live every part of your life just by yourself. You absolutely need other people. There might be a practical aspect to this, but I don't think that's necessarily what Solomon is really talking about. It's kind of interesting when he says, he who separates himself. This word for separation does speak of two people that normally were friends and part of a family, and they would walk away from each other. So this is the same word that's used when it talks about Lot separating himself from Abraham back in Genesis, right? The two groups leaving. 
However, in this sense, when you add it with that idea of who separates himself seeks his own desire, this speaks of somebody who is selfishly separating themselves for, their, for what they want, right? They're leaving because of their own desire. They're not leaving for a good reason. The Bible tells us numerous times we're supposed to separate ourselves from evil, from wickedness, right? There, there's a sense that the believer is to be separate from the world. There is a sense in which we're not supposed to fill our minds with bad doctrine and separate ourselves from bad doctrine. This is talking about somebody who says, I want to do that. I want to do that. Regardless of what God says, regardless of what God's word teaches me, regardless of God's order of authority, it doesn't matter. I want to do this other thing. And so they separate themselves because they want to. They have some sort of desire, desire for themselves and selfish desire. And when I think of this, I couldn't help but think about many of these churches that, and many Christians that are willing to separate themselves from sound doctrine, separate themselves from good churches, that are willing to say, you know what, it's my way, and I'm going to find somebody that agrees with my way of thinking. That is not what God has for us as believers. And there are numerous examples in the New Testament of people that separate themselves, separate themselves from the church. And I want to take a look at that, of, of, of some of these people, and kind of look at what happens when somebody separates themselves from God's people and from sound doctrine. So the first, let, let's go to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Here's this interesting thing. Remember in Galatians, this is right after uh, Acts 15, when the, when the church was discussing the issue of how is a person saved? What's the definition of the gospel? And the, the church unanimously decided that the gospel is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Then Paul was sent as a kind of the spokesman of the group to go through this area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and explain this decision. And this letter is part of that, of that explanation of the gospel. And what's interesting is in Galatia, this, this heresy seemed to hit, there was a heresy that seemed to hit them really hard, and the heresy was, no, you need to add Jewish law. You need to add the Jewish law to the Christian life. So you, you need to be circumcised before you're a believer, right? So circumcision must happen first. You must prepare yourself for belief. So you must be circumcised. And then when you become a believer after believing, then you have to start practicing all of the laws and rituals. And that's the way that you perfect yourself and become more like Christ, is by keeping the law. And so Paul is addressing this. And he's, he's addressing this, this, this separation. And notice what he says here. He says in, in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm amazed that you so quickly, des- uh, so quickly deser- deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. So remember this. When Paul thinks of these people as they're leaving the sound doctrine of what the gospel is, breaking away from the fellowship, right, of the apostles, ultimately the apostle Paul says, you're not deserting the church, you are but you're not, 
ultimately what's happening is you're deserting him. You're ultimately separating yourself from him. Right? You're separating yourself from God. And notice, notice how he describes this. It's him who called you by the grace of Christ. That is such an important phrase in the book of Galatians. Uh, called you by the grace of Christ. About this idea that God, not based off of merit, shows favor towards you in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And then notice, notice what he says. He says, uh, who's called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. So there's another gospel in play. And then he says, verse 7, which is really not another. Meaning, there's no two competing gospels in the Bible. You don't read through the New Testament and go, oh, I could come up with four gospels, five gospels, six gospels. Nope, there's only one. Right? So when Paul uses the phrase, a different gospel, he's saying, you're... There's a teaching inside of the church that says, here's good news. It's not the good news that comes from the Bible. The Bible only portrays one. That's it. There's one, right? So, not that there's really another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So, clearly what's happening is people are coming in, preaching another message... They are purposely trying to cause a fight, purposely trying to cause people to break away from the church. And how do they do that? They do that through distorting. The question is, what does it mean to distort? Uh, as a guitar player, uh, I, I know much about distortion. Um, distortion really is just, it changes a sound, right? That's what distortion does. It changes a sound. It changes a sound to the point that you go, yeah, that kind of sounds like the thing you're doing. Kind of sounds like the individual note that you're playing. But it sounds different. It sounds radically different than the note that you just played, right? This happens with the PA system. I don't know if you've heard it even during the video when the microphone was on. There was a little bit of that whistle. There's a little bit of distortion inside of the, the amplifiers in the system, What's it doing? It's picking up the air. It's picking up the lights. That's the sound of the air, but it's distorting it, right? It, 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 it sounds like it, but it's not really it. That's what they're doing with the gospel. You've got to understand, when these people came in and said, no, we totally believe in belief in Jesus. Yeah, no, you've got to believe in Jesus. But you also got to get circumcised, and you also got to do this. That's a distortion, right? That's a distortion of the gospel, And then Paul says in verse 8, but even if we, so Paul includes himself, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he is to be accursed. This is always remarkable to me that Paul includes himself. Think of this. Paul is saying to the Galatians, if I come back to you in a future date and I come to you and say, you must be circumcised in order to be a believer. He is saying, don't believe me, and I deserve to go to hell. That's what he's saying, right? This isn't playing with nerf, right? This is serious. This is life and death, right? So ultimately, we would say what's happening here with the separation and splits and 
these people coming in and they're seeking their own devices. They're seeking for their own glory, for their own righteousness. What are they doing? What are they causing? They're causing the faithful to separate themselves from God. Separate themselves from the gospel of God. Calling them to separate from him who called them by grace. This is what's so serious about some of these church splits is that when you start arguing about things that really don't matter and you separate over things that really don't matter, the thing that suffers is the gospel message. That's really what suffers. What, what really suffers is why we really come to church. I don't come to church for my own glory and my own edit, just so that I can have my own opinions spewed on some loudspeaker. We come here to honor and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other reason for believers to assemble. It must be, beyond a shadow of a doubt, no equivocation, no shadow. It must be about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it must be about him being honored and glorified. And when we don't act in a way that's unified, in a way that's loving, by walking by the power of the Spirit and seeking our own desire, we're leaving him We're causing him to be devalued. It demonstrates that we're not focused on the things that we're supposed to be focused on. We're walking away. We're separating ourselves away from sound wisdom, from from the place that we're supposed to be. It's interesting that this is kind of a theme throughout the the whole New Testament. There's another passage that kind of talks about this, this separation. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Growing up, uh, most of the time that I ever heard Hebrews chapter 10 talked about, uh, specifically found in verse 25, was always some sort of like, uh, I don't know, church attendance, uh, church, church attendance uh, verse, you know. Uh, if, you're going to, uh, if, if you're going to be a Christian that, that God loves, you're going to show up to the church every time the door's unlocked, Right. Every time the pastor unlocks the door, you better be there. And the justification for that was in Hebrews 10. Um, I I do see Hebrews 10 a little bit different than just some sort of uh, Sunday school attendance verse. Uh, you got to understand the whole context. The whole author is saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Thank you for that, Bob. Uh, (laughs) Jesus is better, and he's better than all the Old Testament. And so his argument is, go towards Jesus, right? Strive toward Jesus, stay focused on Jesus, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's his argument. In the midst of the argument, he gives these warning passages. And in these warning passages, he says, look, there have been some that were among you that claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And then they walked away back into all that other stuff. So what are we to think about those people that went back into that other stuff? It's a dangerous position they placed themselves in. To go back there, it may demonstrate that they're not a believer at all. And he's, he's encouraging these believers who he's writing to to stay focused on Jesus. The answer is Jesus. If they're not believers, by them focusing on Jesus, they will hear the gospel and hopefully believe in the gospel. 
if they are believers and they focus on Jesus, it will purify all of those distracting doctrines. So that's why in chapter 10, as he's kind of closing up the book, and in verse 19, he begins to talk about how we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. It's Jesus. And then in verse 20, by a new way of living uh, inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So by his death, burial, and resurrection, I now have this newness of life and this new way of living. And he says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So therefore, in verse 22, let us draw near with sincere hearts, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So notice what his, what his major emphasis here. Focus on Christ, stick on Christ, lean on Christ, hold on to that doctrine, hold on to that sound doctrine. Don't let go of that. Don't waver here. Focus on Christ. Stay with Christ. Don't get distracted. Always back to the faith. Always back to Jesus. Always back to the gospel. Right? That's what he's saying. Don't, don't, don't waver here. And so he says in verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then he says after this, so stay focused on Jesus, he says, Then let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deed. So what's he asking us to do? He's asking us, in light of what Jesus has done for us, to encourage other believers to to, to be steadfast in the faith, loving the Lord Jesus Christ, and acting in a way that's consistent with that. That's how I consider how to stimulate one another. I'm supposed to come and, and look at other believers and say, how can I help this one stay true to Jesus without wavering? How can I keep them focused on the gospel without wavering? How can I help them continue in their faith and grow in the grace in the Lord of Jesus, grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That's that's how we that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to consider how to help one another. Then he says, not forsaking our own assembling. To be sure, he's talking about you need to be around other believers in order to consider how to edify them. But this word forsake is a very strong word. The word means divorce, means to walk away without any, uh, as a a sense of rejecting, has the idea of becoming an apostate. And so when he says, do not forsake our own assembling, it's not so much that he's saying, you must show up to church all the time. He's saying, stay with the community of believers who focus on Jesus. Stay with like-minded people. That's what I think is the emphasis here. Because I'll be honest, it's very tempting to leave Jesus. It's very tempting to leave a community of like-minded believers. And the author calls this out. Because notice what he says next. He says, as is the habit of some. Some people do this. Some people are not satisfied with Jesus, the word, with prayer, looking at the brothers and sisters that are around them and saying, how can I help you grow in your faith? How can I pray for you this week? Encouraging, showing love. I think sadly, 
So many people come to church for ulterior motives. They come to church to be seen. They come to church for their own glory, that they might be mentioned. Here's a group that they might stick out in. Maybe some of us musicians stand up on stage because we can't hack it in any other musical field except here. There are millions and millions of reasons of why people come to church. And when they come to a church that is focused on Christ, that focuses, there seems to be this reaction against it. And the habit is, I want to go to a place where I can get what I want. Right? I separate from my own desire. And that's the habit of some. They leave Jesus because they're distracted because they want something else other than Jesus. Jesus is not enough. The glory, glorifying Jesus and, and honoring God is not enough. That's the habit of some. But he calls us back. Notice what he says. He says, but encourage. See, that's the point of, of coming together. It's not just come here so that, so that Greg and I can have a tally when we have an elders meeting going, look at how many people are coming to our church. We must be doing a great job because we got lots of people coming now. You, you come to church to encourage others. That's why you come here. Encourage them to do what? Encourage them to live for Jesus. That's what this is. That's what this is about right here, is me encouraging you to live for Jesus. What do you think happens when we say the final prayer and we all start talking? What are we supposed to be doing? Encouraging each other to live for Jesus. Encouraging people not to get distracted by all the other things going on outside. Always Jesus. So if we go back to Proverbs, notice notice what Proverbs says. Proverbs 18 says, So he who separates, he who leaves God, he who leaves the way of righteousness, he who leaves Christ, leaves even community of believers, separates himself, notice what he does, he seeks his own desire. He is separating, not for a good reason, but for a selfish reason. I want what I want, and that's how I want it. It's like a McDonald's... uh, theology, isn't it? You have it your way. That's not what we're supposed to be like as believers by any stretch. This, this is a bad thing. And then notice what it says about this one who, who separates. It says, he quarrels against all sound wisdom. So if a person separates himself from God's word, from like-minded believers who are encouraging him to live in Jesus. He's not doing this because he really wants to live for God. He's doing this for his own reasons. And when he does this, he is fighting against sound wisdom. His fight is not with us. His fight is against the Lord and the Lord's wisdom, right? That is not a good position for any person to be in to be known as someone who fights against sound wisdom and fights against the wisdom of God. Unfortunately, there are lots of splits and separations, and i got to be honest with you, my heart breaks as I hear what churches have gone through these past 18 months, a a time in where, where believers need other believers more than ever and need the encouragement to live for Jesus and stay strong for Jesus, There's been so much talk and so much distraction about 
everything else. Everything else. And guess what's happening? Believers are not talking to other believers that they've talked to their entire life over whether I get something stuck in my arm or not, whether I wear a piece of cloth over my mouth or not, whether, whether how we view politics and, and tax rates and all these other things, all those other things which we're not as believers to engage in in, in church. When, when we come together, we encourage, let's live for Jesus. All those things have come in the way and has caused many, 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 many splits, separations, and schisms. That's not what God wants. Paul, in dealing with the church of Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, is dealing with a church argument with two ladies. We don't know what the argument was. It doesn't really matter what the argument was. What we know is that there was an argument, and they asked the apostle Paul to help them. How do we, how do we, how do we fix this problem that's going on in the church? How do we fix these these, these issues of infighting and separation and people not talking to each other. And the entire book, in my mind, kind of answers this question, how do we get our minds right in the midst of fighting and separation so that we are moving forward the way that we're supposed to? And notice what Paul says here in Philippians 2. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, or that he was robbing glory from God by thinking he was God because he was God. Verse 7, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So as Paul's dealing with this church that has infighting, notice what his solution is. Have the attitude of Jesus, right? Think of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Here's God, the creator of the universe, who adds on humanity, who lives a perfect life, and what does he do? He dies on the cross for us. That's what he did. I mean, purely selfless, right? That's the attitude every believer needs to have, right? I need to have the attitude of Christ. I'm not here for myself. I'm here, I'm, I'm here to, to encourage. I'm here to help, right? I'm here to glorify God, and we're here to glorify God together. And, and Paul Paul here says, this is where you need to get. And so notice back in verse 2, he says, he gives four phrases here that I think are really important about a church and the unity inside of the church. He says, make my joy complete by being, and then he gives four things. Notice these four things. And, and this, this all comes from an understanding of the gospel, of an understanding of Christ, and here's the right attitude. And notice what, notice what the mark of unity is here. It's being of the same mind. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you and I think exactly the same about every single subject. That's impossible. That I've never been in a church where that has happened. What I do think Paul is saying here is that we need to have an idea of what is important, and we're thinking about those things. They're all important. We need to have the same doctrine, right? We need to believe what the Bible teaches us to believe. We need to be having the same values as a church, and those values must be refined by Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's not just that I get to pick the values and all of you follow them blindly. It's that Jesus sets those values and we follow those values. That's being of the same mind. It doesn't mean that when a problem comes, we all have the same solution. It means that we're all thinking the same way, have all the same value and the same doctrine. And then notice what he says next. He says, maintaining the same love. We have to love one another. We have to love one another as Jesus loved us. That, that's, that's what we're trying to maintain. That involves forgiveness. That, that, that involves, okay, we have a difference of opinion. It's really not worth me fighting and breaking up a lifelong friendship over some of these smaller deals. It's about love. And it's about saying, I'm looking out for your needs because I'm seeing your needs as being more important than my own. And I'm not just merely looking out for my own needs and my own rights. Then notice the next one. It says, be, you, united in the same spirit. The similar of being of the same mind. But, but it's a little bit deeper than that. I, think, I have the idea of, it's somebody who is, as part of their conviction of a person, they're dedicated to unity. That's the sense I get here. They're dedicated to, 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 to remaining unified as a body. This involves forgiveness. This, this involves this attitude of I'm seeing others as being more important than myself. This, this involves saying, you know what? I might have to be inconvenienced. I might have to do something I don't really want to do. I might have to go talk to somebody that I wronged and ask them for their forgiveness. I'm going to do what I need to do to maintain peace. And then this last one, notice intent on one purpose. Not multiple purposes. We don't have multiple purposes here. Our job, unequivocally, is to worship God. That's the purpose. That's why we exist, to honor and glorify him, to exalt Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. To have any other purpose for a group of believers is wrong, sinful, heretical. Other phrases you want to add in. It's not right. We need to remain focused on the purpose that Jesus should be honored and glorified in everything we say, we think, and we do. That's our purpose. This morning, we have an incredible opportunity to celebrate this one purpose, to think once again about the great gospel of our Jesus Christ who is making us into one body. We're the body of Christ. When you ask Jesus as your Savior, you're in the body. There's no membership class. You're placed there. 
And he who began that good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus, until we see him again. This is incredible. What is he doing? He's working us and knitting us together as a body so that we function together. This is what he's doing. And this is made possible because of his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. And so this morning, we're going to have the Lord's table to remind us to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thinking of this next week of Thanksgiving and when we talk about what we should be thankful for, in this time when the musicians are playing and we're handing out the, the elements, I would ask for you to think about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, giving us a church family, asking him to help us become a better member of this body and just being so thankful that Jesus died on the cross for us and thankful for what he's given us in a church body. So I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and Greg to come up. We'll pass out the elements. Please do not uh, 